From KCRW, this is Greater LA. I'm Steve Chiatakis with the show that connects you to the people and places of Southern California. At the Skid Row People's Market, owner Danny Park is ringing up a sale. Okay, total is 118. He's the second generation Korean American owner of this store. And after nearly three decades in business, he's selling it, he's getting out. But instead of seeking out the highest bidder, Park has worked out a deal with a neighborhood nonprofit organization that serves local residents and the unhoused. Skid Row is, uh, you know, predominantly uh, black, and uh, folks and residents who live in a neighborhood should rightfully have some control over the institutions that serve the neighborhood. And so the sale feels like a step toward healing the historic tensions between the Korean-American community and the black community in Los Angeles. KCRW's Megan Jamerson takes it from here. At the Skid Row People's Market, Danny Park's customers can buy things like fresh produce, socks, and duct tape. But the store's motto, which is painted high above a cold case, offers Skid Row something more. Our mission statement is providing products and services that nourish the mind, body, and soul while uplifting the creative spirit. I hung out at the store on a recent afternoon for about an hour, and I saw a woman come by to pick up her cell phone after Park let her charge it, and an employee offer customers assistance with carrying their baskets around. Park, his mom, and their employees do many things to be nice to customers. They also offer them a safe hangout space. Two unhoused men sat on stools inside the store until it closed. That afternoon, there was a steady stream of customers. I met one after he made his purchase, a man who goes by the name Righteous Awareness. Bag of chips or some chips I like. You know, because they're good for the heart. A couple snacks and a uh, pair. He says for the last five years, he's bought something from the store almost every day. It's a wonderful story, a lot of nice people, you know. I like the vibes. The story of Danny Park's family business started when his parents, May and Bob, immigrated from Korea. First, they had a printing business. Then they bought the corner store in 1995. It was a tough time for Korean Americans to own small businesses in Black neighborhoods in the aftermath of the 1992 L.A. riots. When Danny Park took over the store in 2018, Park's friend and mentor, Pastor Stephen Q. Jean Maui, says he saw Park face these tensions with honesty. Considering, you know, the commentaries that we've heard or there's always been this, well, there's the Korean people come into our communities and they extract wealth from our community. They don't put anything back into our communities. But John Maui, who is Black, says Danny Park turned that stereotypical story of Black and Korean-American tensions around. I think what's beautiful about Danny is that Danny is not just someone who profited from the community, right? I think once he took over he led his family to really understand what the communities have been going through and, and the trials that the community has gone through. And I think the younger generation, folks of color who are coming together, especially after 2020, have embraced each other in a way that the older generation can't. For Park, the decision to sell the store was difficult. But the timing was right. His 69-year-old mother, who still works at the store, wants to retire. 
Park says it will take getting used to after the store has been the center of their lives for so long. Yeah, like, what am I going to talk to my mom about now? If you don't have this, I'm just going to, like, twiddle our thumbs. On a serious note, he says the stress of running the store and wanting to be a good steward to the community was taking a toll on him. I think I came to a realization that I, the best thing to do is, like, kind of, I need to take care of myself. After the decision was made in the fall, Park's first phone call was to John Maui. Park remembers saying, I'm just calling because I want to share in my, with what's going on. Like, and uh, I, I just need someone to share this with. And during that conversation, John Maui, who founded the community nonprofit Creating Justice LA, remembers Park said something really important. Once he said he wanted a community member to take over the store or the market, I understood exactly what he meant. And he wanted to continue that legacy of, uh, of, of taking care of the community. Park says he wanted that because of what the community had given his family over the years. The residents and community really helped, uh, you know, put food on the table for our family. We were able to purchase our first house, uh, help pay for me and my sister's schooling, all these things, just this access to life opportunities. So John Maui came back to Park with a proposal about a week after their first phone call. He said creating justice should acquire the business. Park, who sits on the nonprofit's board, agreed this would help to ensure the store could continue its mission. It's a beautiful, unexpected kind of thing that is like really awesome. The mission of the store and John Maui's nonprofit are nicely aligned. John Maui says creating justice is about fostering social and economic health for the people of Skid Row. Their projects include a worker-owned co-op called the Hip Hop Smoothie Shop and running community programming at the Peace and Healing Center in Skid Row. Meanwhile, the symbolism of a second-generation Korean-American-owned store being sold to a Black-run nonprofit is not lost on John Maui. I think it's a step, uh, you know, towards healing and a step to build outside of the, the regular narrative. The handover of the store's ownership will take about two to three months. John Maui says once that's complete, the store will still be an affordable market. There are no big grocery store chains in the area, just corner markets. And few, like the People's Market, offer fresh produce and ready-to-eat packaged meals. John Maui is seeking community input on how the nonprofit might improve and expand community services at the store. The nonprofit will also be kicking off a fundraising campaign, and some of those funds will go toward the purchase of the store. All right, Danny, see you tomorrow. Back at the market, it was 5 o'clock, and Park was closing up for the day. I asked him, how would he like his family remembered? He chewed on the question thoughtfully. Hopefully as a um, source of uh, inspiration, that we can be part of something that can bring inspiration for people. You know, that would be a great, like, privilege. Yeah. What's next for Park this year? Lots of rest and reflection. And at 39 years old, figuring out how he will continue some sort of advocacy work in downtown L.A., and perhaps the most important thing of all, he's getting married. For KCRW, I'm Megan Jamerson.
Introducing the KCRW Donation Car, designed to be recycled. This first-of-its-kind vehicle will save you time, space, and hassle by disappearing. Enjoy the luxury and comfort of turning your underused car into a donation worth hundreds, even thousands of dollars. The KCRW Donation Car, already in your garage, driveway, or on cinder blocks outside your house. Act now at kcrw.com cars. Moving on now with Greater L.A. from KCRW. I'm Steve Chiatakis. Nearly 30 years ago to the day, this happened in and across Los Angeles. Okay, we're here in the Channel 4 newsroom, as you folks. There's no surprise. For any folks this morning, we've been hit with a major earthquake. A microwave flew off the counter and flung across the room. Pictures were flying. I, I see devastation wherever I turn. There's a lot of yellow warning tape at the 3rd Street Promenade. We are in Northridge, Linda, at Cal State Northridge, where there is an extremely volatile situation. Just looking through some of the reports that we're getting, most of these by telephone as people get up this morning and uh, try to uh, figure out exactly what happened in their area. Good evening. Once again, the dream of a good life in Southern California has taken a major jolt. The disastrous Northridge earthquake, magnitude 6.7, killed more than 60 people, injured thousands more, and damaged homes, freeways, and many, many lives. It's an event that still lives on in many memories, maybe even yours, particularly in the San Fernando Valley, where it was centered. Well, now the experimental performance troupe Diablo seeks to commemorate the event through dance. Their show, Existencia, opens at Cal State Northridge on January 17th. That's exactly 30 years after the quake hit, January 17th, 1994. Jacques Heim is the group's founder and creative director, and he joins us now to talk about it. Jacques, welcome to you. Hello, bonjour, everyone. We, we often hear, Jacques, that the Northridge quake you know, it's it's discussed in a scientific way or or an historical way, right? What made you want to explore this event through art? You know, art is a beautiful language that can, you know, express so many different feelings. Um, you know, during the Northridge earthquake in 1994, I was living in an apartment complex in Hollywood, and I did not know my neighbors at all until the earthquake. And what happened to us? Suddenly... All our neighbors came out of the apartments and we start sharing food and water and flashlight and blankets and hugging each other. And it was actually a beautiful thing. It's amazing that it's only in a moment of disaster that people come together and create an amazing bond, an amazing community. So that's what we wanted to recreate uh, in movement through our piece Existencia. Your your troop Diablo was was based in Northridge at the time of the quake, right? Our studio was there, and it was you know the epicenter. You know, I started my dance company in 1992, so two years later, this earthquake, and I was still trying to understand what I was doing with my dance company. And it's really this earthquake, this disaster, that really I realized what would be the theme and the philosophy of of the company. I wanted to recreate with my company uh, the feeling of creating a tight bond. So that's why the work that I do is very dangerous on purpose, because it's really in the moment of danger, in the moment of survival, that people come together. What do you mean dangerous? What I mean danger is that in Diablo, we use large architecture structure. Uh, that, and especially in Existencia, we have those large structures 
sort of a city structure made of aluminium designed by my designer Adam Davis. And they are falling on the stage, nearly collapsing on top of humans that are escaping at the last minute. So I want to create this moment of where the dancers have to help each other in a realistic way on stage at every minute to be able to survive the show that they're doing. And that is a metaphor of what people go through disasters. You know, that's why, Steve, that, you know, for the last seven years, I've also been working with the military community, the men and women of the armed forces. And we create a workshop. Uh, and basically what we do is we do restoration, restoring the physical, emotional, and mental strengths of the men and women of the armed forces. And we do workshops that culminate into a show. Uh, because the military feel this. They feel that in their deployment or their service, they really create a tight bond because they face, at every moment, a uh, disaster. And, and for the piece, you collaborated with drummer Antonio Sanchez, right? And, and a vocalist, Fana Alexa, to, to create this score. You can really hear it and feel it. Let's, let's play a little bit of, of that. It's very dramatic, right? You can you can feel the tension with the drums, and you know, w what are you trying to do with that? You know, having uh, Antonio Sanchez, uh, amazing drummer, composer, and his wife Tana Alexa, vocalist, loop artist, we wanted to create a visceral sound. So you, you, uh, you have at the edge of the stage Antonio on one side of the stage and Tana with her gorgeous and powerful voice at the edge of the stage on the other side where the audience is going to feel the voice of Tana is going to get through all the body of every human being in the audience and the sound and the percussive aspect of Antonio is going to elevate the people sitting in the seats. So we wanted to create an unbelievable, visceral, musical, compositional sound. And, you know, they're, they're the best and they're just quite amazing. It's going to be quite an amazing experience uh, for the audience. Do you, do you worry, Jacques, that this could... I mean, look, it's been 30 years. It's a long time. Do you worry, though, that maybe this, for people who, who experienced it, especially in Northridge and the San Fernando Valley, that it could be a little triggering? You know, absolutely. You, you know, um, the same way that sometimes we have military veterans uh, coming to see our show and it trigger a little bit uh, emotional aspect uh, and uh, it could transform into a form of PTSD a little bit. But sometimes you have to face over and over your demons to really control it. Um, and that's kind of the part of the psycho psychological work that we're doing. Um, you know, let's be, let's be real. We live in a time where disaster is uh, all around us at any time. And we have to be able to face it, to understand it, to control it. And how better to do it to celebrate with uh, art and to see it in a different way. But this piece, Existencia, is not a dark piece. It's actually a beautiful uh, inspiration piece 
about saying that community, humans are important to come together to help strangers. Strangers needs to help strangers at any time. Community coming together is one of the most powerful aspects in every cities. And so Existencia is very inspiring. Jacques Heim, the founder and creative director of Diavolo and their show Existencia about the Northridge earthquake. Almost 30 years ago to the day, it opens on January 17th, 2024. 30 years since the Northridge quake. Jacques, good luck to you. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. Hopefully we see everybody at the theater. Thank you. Moving on now with Greater L.A. from KCRW, I'm Steve Chiotakis. Tomorrow on the program, an update on L.A.'s crisis of the unhoused from our reporter who's moving on after so many stories in that realm. Today, we've been laying out stories of the chaotic time after the Northridge earthquake. But long before that disastrous day in 1994, you may have witnessed L.A. being destroyed again and again on film. the sound of the Capitol Records and other Hollywood buildings crumbling in the 1974 movie Earthquake. Well, as the prospect of another big one looms large, it remains an unsettling film to watch. It does for me. And this Friday, you can catch it for yourself at the Academy Museum as part of the ongoing series, Beware the Elements, Natural Disasters on Film. The museum's director of film programs, K.J. Ralph Miller, helped put together this disastrous lineup and joins us now to talk about it. KJ, welcome to you. Hi, Steve. Thanks so much for having me on. I got to tell you, when, when I walk, I mean, I remember the first time I saw Earthquake and, and uh, it, not in the theaters, but uh, it was probably soon after it was released. And it was one of those things. It's like, wait, that really happens. I mean, it is a scary, even for 1974 standards, it is a scary movie to think about. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting to think about Earthquake as part of this trend of films that were coming out in the 1970s when Hollywood was just obsessed with disaster pictures, right? And using it as an excuse to showcase effects and and sort of um, capabilities in that realm, but also just jam-pack these movies with stars and and have this massive cast um, that sort of can stand in for a proc as a proxy for humanity. Um, and and so we see a big boom in the 1970s with the disaster film. And yes, I think that they can be sort of uh, ominous or or terrifying to view, but because we're talking about Hollywood cinema for the most part, there's usually a happy ending, or there's usually humanity coming together to deal with the crisis and overcome it, or at least sort of um, deal with its aftermath together in a uh, an uplifting way. And you know, we're living though, KJ, in a time when it feels like disaster just is always around the corner, right? I mean, not just the the prospect of an earthquake. I mean, it could be anything. It could be, you know, the impacts of climate change. It could be war. It could be, you know, anything. So talk about why you decided to screen this series now. 
Yeah, I think, you know, when thinking about everything that you just mentioned, I mean, the threat of, especially in Los Angeles, you know, the quote-unquote big one, disaster is kind of on our minds lately. And we, we put this series together in the summer. We were planning it in the summer to premiere in January, and it was a summer of of record-breaking heat waves. I mean, we saw wildfires as we usually do in California, and we had a hurricane, which was, you know, a thing that that there was never in our vocabularies uh, until this past year. And so, just in thinking about that, I was considering how we can look to the history of cinema to see our fears about our current current crisis and also the climate crisis reflected on screen and through narrative cinema, sometimes through science and science science-based solutions to a natural disaster, but often um, in a bit of a hyperbolic way that allows us to consider our own reality um, and realities through um, science-based solutions or collective action toward science-based solutions to dealing with mounting crises. And by the way, it's not just Earthquake that you're screening. I mean, this is a series, as I mentioned. So you will have other disaster films as well. What are they? Yeah, we approached the series by thinking about the Earth's primary elements, so earth, wind, water, and fire. And we kicked off the series with a screening of Twister, um, the 1996 natural disaster film, um, that where we also saw a big boom in disaster pictures in the 90s when we, when we had advanced CGI technology to create something like a tornado or, um, in the case of volcano, like lava flowing down Wilshire Boulevard. And and in many of these cases, we're thinking about the ways that, that yes, of course, natural disasters occur every day, but, only, but how they're also related to the climate crisis. And so we're not just screening Earthquake, of course, but actually to close out the series, um, one of the last screenings on January 26th is San Andreas in 3D. And we're actually really excited to have the famous seismologist, Dr. Lucy Jones, founder of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society, there to talk about um, the science or um, lack thereof in San Andreas and sort of discuss, you know, have a real discussion with the Los Angeles community about earthquake awareness and earthquake preparedness. A, a, a lot of these movies, KJ, are, are set, certainly filmed, but set in Los Angeles too, right? Like, it's crazy. It's so interesting too. Um, one of the moderators that we've brought on for this series, Haley Smith of the LA Times, who's an environment reporter, brought up this great book by Mike Davis that he wrote in the 1990s. We're all very familiar with City of Quartz, of course, but he wrote this book in the 90s called Ecology of Fear, where he's looking at um, the the history of the disaster as depicted in narrative fiction, specifically in California. And then he narrows down even further, as he so want to do, to Los Angeles. And man, throughout the history of cinema and also narrative literature, we see artists and authors and directors returning to the idea of just demolishing this city. And why why it's so pleasurable to demolish this city is maybe um, up for debate and, and why the rest of the country or the rest of the world likes to think about the destruction of Los Angeles um, through cinema or through literature. It's, it's a really fascinating idea that he brings up and something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. And I don't know if I have an answer to why we return to wanting to destroy uh, the very city that that really birthed the industry. Um, it's a fascinating question. <laughs> it is fascinating stuff, and uh, it can be scary. You know, I always say 
don't be scared. Be prepared in the, in the event of an earthquake or any kind of natural disaster. And it really is a fascinating series. K.J. Ralph Miller, Director of Film Programs at the Academy Museum. You can find out more about the screenings with Beware the Elements, Natural Disasters on Film at our website, kcrw.com slash GLA. K.J., thanks for coming on. Good luck with the series. Thanks, Steve. Well, that's all the time we have for this evening. Next on KCRW, in just mere moments, it's Today Explained. Ukraine has relied on American money and equipment to fight the Russian offensive over the better part of two years. But politics has now put that money on hold with Republicans who control Congress saying no more. That's just a moment from now on KCRW Today Explained. We're back tomorrow, and you can join us online anytime at kcrw.com slash GLA. Share a story idea. Grab the podcast so you can get the show on the go, and you can get the podcast wherever you get your podcasts, too, by searching KCRW Greater LA. Or, again, at the website, kcrw.com slash GLA. Juliana Mayo, Zoe Matthew, Kelsey Gante, Eddie Sun, Phil Richards, Ray Guarna, Amy Ta, Carlos Ramirez, Michael Vogel, and Christian Bordall all helped run the episode this evening. I'm Steve Chiatakis. Bye-bye. <laughs>